0: Micah chapter 6 and in verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God? You know, in our nation's capital, in the Library of Congress, this is inscribed on one of the walls underneath the statue of, representing Moses. These words are engraved in the stone there. One of the early rabbis said this verse is the best one-line summary of the whole law. A scholar called this the finest summary of content of practical religion to be found in the Old Testament. So here's some, you know, this, this verse is being used all over. It's been thought of for a long time. But it's been thought about by Jesus as well. If we turn over to Matthew chapter 23. After Matthew chapter 23 and in verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done, without neglecting the others. sure sounds a lot like Micah chapter 6, doesn't it? Micah 6.8. So Jesus is thinking about Micah 6.8. Maybe we should think about Micah 6.8. We go back to the book of Micah. And we think of, let's put this into context. So why is Micah saying this? Why is he putting this here in this particular part of what's going on in his book? So Micah lives in Judah. This is during the divided kingdom. And so he is in the southern half where the southern tribes live. Micah 1 tells us that he is uh, the prophet during Jotham, who was a good king. Ahaz, who was really not a good king. And Hezekiah, who was a good king. So this would have placed him around 735 to 710 B.C. So the big concern at this time was the Assyrian army. They are now the current world superpower. And they are coming down and they're working their way through the northern tribes and through Samaria. And during Micah's time and during Micah's life, he will see the northern tribes being overthrown and be taken away. And so this is now becoming a concern for Judah. Look, you guys are coming down. These people from Assyria are working their way down. Do they know where the border is that they're supposed to stop? I mean, we're Judah. We're not Israel. We're Judah. So we might think of this in today's standards. So Canada has 38 million people that live there. The U.S. has a little over 330 million people. So I think I can safely say that most, if not all of us, don't go to bed at night thinking, boy, I sure hope Canada doesn't invade us tonight. That's probably not a big concern that's going on in our minds. But you know, if, if China successfully invite, invaded Canada, or maybe Russia and in, in Putin invades Canada and takes them over, now there's some concern. That's a big concern. There's somebody that's near our borders. We don't have many neighbors that are hostile towards us. Now there's somebody that's close by that we're concerned about. In today's world, we might call this a come-to-Jesus moment. So a come-to-Jesus moment is, you know, I haven't really been doing a whole lot with God. I haven't been thinking about God a lot, but now there's something really bad going on. Maybe I need to get a little God. Maybe I need to think about what does Jesus want me to do. Maybe I can get Jesus to take care of this for me. Maybe the people of Judah were having a come-to-Jehovah moment. We've drifted away. We need to get back to Jehovah. Let's take a look in 2 Kings chapter 16. 2 Kings chapter 16. I mentioned that Ahaz was one of the kings during Micah's reign. Second Kings chapter 16 and verse 1. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramallah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he, became, when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offering, according to those despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel and he sat and he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places on the hills and under every green tree. We see the character of Ahaz. We see his leadership. We see the way that he is leading the people. We see that there are a lot of things going on at this time. There's politics. There's now concern and there's a lot of idolatry going on. We go back to Micah chapter six, and so let's go up and let's get a little context from the scriptures of what is going on. Micah chapter six, going up to verse six. Micah six and verse six. With what shall I become for with with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? So you read this and you think, that sounds pretty good. Sounds like somebody's waking up. But isn't the word what a concern? So maybe there's people that are thinking, you know what? We're doing like the people in the northern half are doing. And God's sending the Assyrians to overthrow them. Maybe that's a concern. Maybe we need to get back to what God wants. The word what here is saying, what shall I bring? What can I give to God? What is it that I have and come and worship him that I can give to him? So we think, come before the Lord. It's a good thing right there. You got to start with who are you going to worship? Who are you going to go before? You need to go before the Lord. The Lord. Before the God who? The God who is on high. So they recognize that this is God who is on high. He is the ultimate God. There is none above him. God is the highest of gods. Shall I bring him burnt offerings, a calf of one year old? Leviticus 9, perfect age for a calf. One year old, that's the perfect age for sacrifice of a calf. So those sound like good things, but again, they're saying, what can I bring? What do I have? Let's look at Micah 6 and verse 7. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Do you think, if you remember back when the temple was dedicated, Solomon sacrificed 20,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. A lot of sacrifices were going for a good reason. This is what they were dedicating the temple. The people are asking now, What can I bring? Should I bring a whole bunch of animals? Should I bring rams? Should I bring uh, sacrifices to God? Rivers of oil. You think of what the reason oil was. It was used for uh, anointing someone. It was used in small quantities. It was rare. It was expensive. God, do I need to bring you 10,000 rivers? How many gallons? How how much oil is in 10,000 rivers? Just think of this as, can I bring you this much? Should I sacrifice my firstborn son for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? So if we remember back to what Ahaz was doing, this is one of the problems that Ahaz did. Ahaz actually went through this. He sacrificed one of his sons, gave a human sacrifice. Remember Leviticus 18.21? Deuteronomy 18.10, no children sacrifices. That was a direct command. You should never, ever sacrifice a human. And they're asking, what can I bring? What, what is it that I have that I can give to God? We can see they're recognizing that they're trying to use worship as a tool. God, we have a problem. We see the Assyrians coming down. There was also conflict with just the northern Israel and the Assyrians, not the Assyrians, but also the Assyrians. There's problems here. We need some help. What is it that we can do? What is it that we can give you to convince you to come and take care of this problem? You know, we might say, you know, you'll hear the jokingly, oh, I did this today. I get two church points for it. And I'm going to start banking my church points so that when I need something, I can turn them into God. Oh, I'm having a financial situation. How many church points does that take? Does that take 10? Okay, I got 10. I'll trade you and make my problem go away. Oh, I have a relative who's sick. Is that 20? Boy, that's an expensive one. Is that 20 church points? Well, I don't know that I have enough, so maybe next time Robert Ross or... Steve Tournay is looking for someone to help. I'll go and volunteer. I'll grab myself a few extra points here. Is that what they're trying to do? They're trying to say, God, we're not looking to follow you. We're looking because we need you to take care of something that we can't. We can see they're trying to barter with God. How expensive is this going to be? I remember growing up near my uncle's restaurant in Alabama. On Wednesdays, they would have this, they called it a flea market. Most people that went there called it a a junk trade. People would try and sell anything they could and see how much money they could get out of it or how little they would have to pay. And I remember walking in front of this guy's table and he had a broken hammer handle. A broken hammer. What are you going to do with a broken hammer handle and why would you buy it? You know what, I don't know, but if I can get a quarter out of it, I'm a quarter richer. I'll sell whatever I can. I'm trying to barter, and I'm trying to get anything I can. Well, how much can I get that broken handle for? Can I get it for a nickel and not a quarter? So they're asking God, how expensive is this problem going to be? Am I going to have to come up with lots and lots of animals? Am I going to have to give my firstborn? You told me specifically not to but is this something that I'm going to have to do? They're trying to use worship to convince God to take care of their problem. We think of God's response to this. What has God done for them? We go back up in Micah chapter 6 and in verse 3, just up a few verses. He starts out, O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. So he's asking them, what all? what am I asking you to do that is that bad? What is it that I'm asking you to do that is that troublesome? Verse 4, for I brought you out of the land of Egypt, and I redeemed you from the house of slavery. I not only delivered you, I emancipated you. I brought your people out. You have freedom. I gave you this land. I sent you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. I gave you leadership. I gave you ones to look towards. Verse 5. Oh, my people. Remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised? And what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him? Remember Balaam, the famous donkey talking donkey chapter? Where Balak asked, I want you to come and curse the Israelites. I want you to come and put a curse on these people. Balaam's response was, "I can only respond with what God gives me. God doesn't let me curse them. I cannot curse them." So God was looking out for the Israelites all this time. What have I done to make it so wearisome for you? And then again, in our verse verse six, or excuse me, chapter six and in verse eight, what is good? We see God is giving a commandment here, and it's not good because he's given the commandment, but the commandment was already good. He was giving it to them for them to be better, for us to be better. He's saying, this is what I'm looking for. This, this is what is good. Again, Micah 6 and verse 8, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God? What's he talking about here? We look up in verse 3. Oh, my people. He's, looking, he's talking about a relationship that he has with the people. Oh, my people. Verse 5. Oh, my people. Verse 8. Walk humbly with your God. You have my heart. Can I have yours? There's three points here in this verse that we want to take a look at. Going back to Micah 6 and verse 8. Do justice. I want you to treat people right. We look down a little bit in verse 10. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measures that are accursed? Shall I quit the man with wicked scales and a bag of deceitful weights. They're cheating each other. They're taking advantage of each other. What I want you to do is stop it. I want you to treat people right. Stop Stop cheating each other. Those that especially need it, we read through other passages of Micah, especially those that we might say are on the bottom rungs of society. Those that are poor, those that are oppressed, those that cannot defend themselves. We need to do justice. We need to do what's right because it's right. And to love kindness. The word here is chesed. So it's stand by committed obligation. Voluntarily accept a Responsibility. Love kindness, to give grace. You're doing something, and not because it's owed to you, but you're doing it because it's undeserved. You're giving mercy. You're giving mercy because it comes from the heart. Love that kindness. Not only do justice, but be kind to your fellow friend, fellow brothers. And to walk humbly with your God walk is a metaphor many times in the bible is described as your way of life he wants you to live faithfully with god with your god your god the one who has been there for you each and every time he's been there for you will you be there for him this word humbly has some have suggested that the meaning means careful living not only humbly as in, I'm taking a step back and putting someone higher, but also doing this very carefully. Doing what God wants and making sure that I'm following what God wants. So we have, let's take a look at some applications. So, this is not a new saying. So, if we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and in verse 12. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, for I am commanding you this day for your good. Some 700 years before Micah, God tells the Israelites, Pretty much the exact same thing. This is the way I want you to live. Back in Micah. What God wants is not complicated. What God wants is not expensive, not extravagant. Hosea, sorry, Hosea chapter 6. Hosea chapter 6 and in verse 6. For I desire steadfast love, and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God, rather than burnt offerings. What is God asking for? He's not asking for your things. He's not asking for your possession. He's asking them for their heart. He's asking them for our heart. You are my people. I am your God. I want you to care about me the way that I have been caring for you. We think about this, we started with the Library of Congress and that being inscribed on the wall. We're very fortunate. We don't have to travel to Washington, D.C. We don't have to go to the Library of Congress to sing this, to see this verse. We have our Bibles. We have our tablets. We have our phones. We can open this, we can see it, and we can read it at any time. One writer said, if you want to know the formula for getting closer to God, this is it.